tax tax, which is always exciting. GST reform. That's a great idea. Um, more efficient tax. tax. Due diligence now. Hello and welcome. This is Tax Wrap, Episode 6, brought to you by Taxpayers Australia's Tax Specialists. My name is Nathan Hewitt and today we're joined by Angela Lehman, Letty Choi, Bill Mavropoulos and also our Head of Tax at Taxpayers Australia, Mark Chapman. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Morning. No problem. Good morning. Now we're almost, we're in the final stretch to Christmas, so we'll be wrapping up. I think this is our penultimate podcast, Episode 6. We'll do seven and that'll be pretty much it for this year and then we'll mm-hmm. jump back into next year with excitement and due fervor now first topic ntlg which is the national tax liaison group now mark that's something that you're going to be discussing um and we'll sort of facilitate the discussion around that now mark uh for our listeners has experience has worked with the ato as a high level uh employee with the ato in the past so he has that experience that background history with the with the ato but let's start with uh, the very simplest, Mark, what is the National Tax Liaison Group? Basically, the, the tax office tries to consult with the wider community as, as, as much as possible. Um, they've, they've undertaken a bit of an exercise recently to sort of reduce the, the amount of consultation they do in terms of formal uh, groups, but they still have um, uh, a few uh, groups which meet fairly regularly and the NTLG is actually the peak forum really in terms of uh, uh, talking to the community. It's the one which looks at the, the sort of highest levels of tax administration which looks at a strategic view of the tax system um, which really sort of looks at those really big issues that are of, of fundamental importance. So the tax office is there, treasury is there, representatives of all of the professional bodies are there so obviously we're there the tax institute chartered accountants cpa uh, institute of public accountants all those bodies are represented there and it's an opportunity really to talk openly um you get a lot of uh, full and frank discussions shall we say <laughs> in, in terms of interaction between the perspectives of those people who are administering the system uh, outside and those people from the ATO and Treasury who are administering the system from the inside. Um, we meet four times a year. The last meeting was, was yesterday. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really good opportunity to sort of grapple with those very high level decisions. It's not, it's not a group that you go to to complain that this client has got this issue or, or this, <laughs> the other client has got a particular issue. None of that. This is looking at the really big was, picture stuff. That was going to be my next question, actually, Mark. But no. Um, could we flesh out a bit more what the purpose of that peak body is? I know that you mentioned it is sort of like a strategic overview yeah. of the tax system, but um, w- what are like, I guess, um, some headline key issues in the community that you would have? Oh, look, the, there's a lot of discussion, as we, we know at the moment, around uh, base erosion, profit shifting, okay. those sort of multinationals. Mm. Um, that was an issue that we spent quite a bit of time discussing in terms of how the ATO will, will be sort of driving this issue going forward, what the perspectives of the professional bodies are in relation to, to, to those issues. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a body of work which is just starting in terms of looking at the, uh, the strategies that the ATO implements in, in terms of its compliance focus, okay. uh, looking so. at the drivers of non-compliance, looking at the behaviours that taxpayers uh, demonstrate and really sort of looking at that big picture of how the ATO can actually treat those various tax risks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they're, they're sort of taking a bit of a new focus there and they run a workshop to get the professional bodies input into how they see taxpayers' behaviour, okay. how they see professionals interacting there. 
Um, so it's that kind of issue. Um, mm. They're also uh, just getting into a process at the moment of looking at the ATO's various um, advice and guidance products, the rulings, the tax determinations. There's a feeling maybe that there are too many of those uh, okay. products. It's confusing for taxpayers, it's confusing for professionals. Some of the products that they have out there, and particularly some of the rulings, are maybe out of date. So there's a bit of an exercise going on to maybe cull those down. So there's some discussion around that. So, so what's why have they all of a sudden? Because I mean, this this sounds like momentous change in the tax office, and it is a slow-moving beast. Um, I guess you're you're probably well placed to to talk about that because you've you've been in the beast in yeah. the belly of the beast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but <laughs> what what are sort of um, been some of the key drivers why why are they doing this now oh look the the ato is always shifting its focus slightly you know they 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 never stand still they their ability to implement new strategies, their overview of the system, the ability to get data from outside and feed that into the machine is, is always evolving. But I think the pace of change has increased over the last 18 months, two yeah. years or so, by this injection of outside expertise at the highest levels of the okay. tax office. Okay. You know, we've got a commissioner okay. who came in from, from KPMG, we've got a second commissioner who, who came in earlier this year from, again, from an, an external. Um, there's quite a few people coming from outside and they're bringing a very different perspective to the one that you might call a sort of traditional in-house ATO perspective. Mm. And some of that has, has been reflected in, you know, there's been, there's, there's been cuts in terms of uh, human resources within the ATO, but they do have a wider commercial strategic perspective, which they really, I think, trying to feed into the way the organisation works. And it's a big beast, you know, yeah. there's still 18,000 odd people working there, even after the job cuts. So it's difficult to turn it around. But obviously, without that leadership at that level, mm. there's no hope that the people lower down are actually going to change sure. the way they interact with And it's positive, isn't it, Mark? I mean, for, for everyone out there in the general public, it is a positive thing that the ATO is looking yeah. at this. Yeah, it, yeah it, it is a good thing. Um, it'll take a while before I think you know, a lot of taxpayers start to see this, this change in the way that they interact with the tax mm, office. Yeah. You know, a lot of the feedback that we get from members on the ground, you know, the people who are actually dealing with the tax office on a day-to-day -day basis, yeah. a lot of the feedback is still quite negative in terms of they, they still have this slightly old-fashioned attitude sure. that, that, that taxpayers are automatically up to no good. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you, you don't hear that as you go higher up. You, you get a much more... Uh, calmer, uh, more reasoned, mm. more strategic perspective, which, yep. which recognises that uh, the, the, the IRS in the US takes this perspective that you can't audit people to compliance. Mm. Yes, and I think absolutely. that the tax office is increasingly... It's a voluntary uh, sort of engagement. Yeah, it's, it's yes. increasingly moving in that direction as well. You get people to voluntarily comply and you, you can then sort of move away from these traditional, you know, big stick approaches. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. and also yeah. using uh, non-formal methods of... Uh, of dispute resolution, like alternative dispute mm. resolution process that the ATO now has in place, and I believe that Mark, you yourself wrote an article for the taxpayer a few months ago. Yes, it was so three, three or four months ago. Yes, uh, listeners, for anybody who, who wants to go back and have a look at that, <laughs> sure. it is applied. Um, something that the ATO is really keen to push, not just in the large business space where okay. this this kind of started off, but also now increasingly through the small businesses, there is this mechanism of. of informal dispute resolution processes outside the traditional audit thing, which which is sure. well worth trying if you think you've hit the criteria. Yeah. Go and have a look and at the article. And even outside of the um, court and tribunal process that can cost the taxpayer thousands of mm. dollars. Yep. Yeah. Now, Mark, you mentioned 
about uh, how a lot of our members do have feedback, but the day-to-day -day activities and engagement with the tax office. Now, perhaps a lot of our listeners uh, may be experienced practitioners who have ideas that they might want to uh, be covered by the NTLG. Now, is there a particular contact point or would the best way be to contact us directly? Oh, look, contact us directly. And I'm really keen to hear that feedback. Mm -hmm. I hear a lot of negative sure. feedback, but I think maybe that's because people tend to complain about the bad things and keep quiet about the good news. The good yeah, news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if anybody does yes. have any good feedback, I'd be really keen to hear that Absolutely. as well. Because all of this stuff does get passed on to the tax sure. office. They're keen to hear it. You know, they actually seek out this feedback. So if you've got uh, war stories, experiences that you want to share, whether they're good or bad, yeah. talk to me, or let me know, and I'll, I'll pass that on, yeah. and it will help to shape the way things uh, evolve in the future. Okay. Um, is that like, I'm, I'm, the, the example that sort of immediately sprung to mind was that, that My Tax initiative that they rolled out, and that, that was something that had great uptake, and seems like it sort of just flowed through the system really easily. It, would that be like an example of something that would they could sort of bring up with you and say, look, you know, notice that that's, that's something that... Oh, yeah, look, I mean, if people have had experiences of that, it'd be good to know whether they were positive or, or mm -hmm. negative. I think generally a lot of people used it, about a million people used it, so mm -hmm. obviously it got a good take-up in its first year. I know the tax office has got big plans for that product going forward in mm -hmm. terms of increasing the number of taxpayers who are potentially able to use it. You know, they're bringing in all this, this this CGT data that they've now got in terms of share disposals, oh, yes. which will potentially mean that they can pre-fill your capital gains, which is either exciting or terrifying. Well, on your perspective. that's a huge data set. That's well, it, it is. I mean, set. they've got millions of items of, of data that they've obtained from the share registries going all the way back to the beginning of CGT. Mm. Um, so masses <laughs> of, of, of data. A bit big brother-ish. But I guess well, it's just an expansion of what they're already doing. I yeah, mean, they, yeah, they yeah. get data from all over the place these yeah. days. So this is just the next logical yeah. progression in that in that path, really. And I guess a tax practitioner would have access to that sort of information as well. So it's not like um, it's hidden in the background. That's right. Yeah. So it would be part of that pre-fill report. Yeah. That's okay. right. Yep. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. Guys, here's something that I'm really, really excited about. Uh, earlier this week, uh, one of our listeners, one of our podcast listeners, reached out to us with a question about PSI, which I've only just recently discovered means personal services income. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Now, the, the question itself came from uh, Paul Greenfield, and he asked, would it be possible to discuss PSI and its implications, especially the Commissioner's ability to invoke Part 4A? Now, none of that means anything to me. Who enlightened you? But um, please enlighten me. So, Bill, you're going to start. Uh, we're going to talk about PSI and what is it? Okay. Um, this this topic ha can get very, very technical, so I'm going to try and talk about yeah, it at a mind. very, very, very high level. Airborne ready to blast. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, firstly, I, I think a great starting point when, when addressing anything, any, any type of legislative um, rule is to just go through what it actually is. Mm -hmm. So... Um, PSI is, is basically income that's mainly a reward for the personal efforts um, or skills of an individual. Okay. Um, you can have a look at TR 2001-7, which is a reference to uh, a tax ruling that sort of deals specifically with PSI. Um, I think what's important when you're, when you're looking at any tax rule, um, I think the purpose or, or I guess um, the reason why that measure was introduced, and I was going to throw it to the guys and sort of please jump in and, and um, tell us what the tax mischief that PSI um, is trying to solve is. I guess that that's... 
well, as a starting point. I suppose uh, if we use a practical example to illustrate the tax mischief that could occur, Bill, you as an individual, if you're doing work and you're on a very, very high income, your tax rate is astronomical. Mm. You're going to be paying tax on that income at your highest marginal rate. But you know that com- your company, Bill, Proprietary Limited, mm. is paying taxes only 30%. So I'd never do it, Letty. Your <laughs> <laughs> inclination is to say, how about the company pays the tax and I don't. Yes. But what the PSI rules are designed to do is say, no, Bill, you did the work to earn the income. It's you not the income of the company, you should be paying the tax. Yep. So th- I guess that that's a great overview of what the tax mischief that these rules are trying to prevent um, w- would be. Um, the next part of the, the, the listener's question was, how is Part 4A, how could Part 4A be involved mm. um, with these rules. Part 4A, for people that don't know, is is one of the most famous um, general anti-avoidance rules in the income tax law. So it's basically a a broad provision that where, if if anything else sort of escapes taxation, it comes in and mops mops up and says, well, actually, you're trying to get a tax benefit when you shouldn't be. Um, And and it was designed basically, I guess, to plug the tax avoidance schemes that were around once upon a time in terms of basically you're you're producing a tax outcome which isn't matched by a corresponding Mm. economic outcome. And part 4A can kind of look through the tax outcome and and take you back to what the position would have been if you hadn't put in place the... uh, Basically designed to capture schemes and so forth uh, where the commissioner thinks that you only put that scheme in place just to get the tax deduction or just to reduce your assessable income. That's okay. I think what's interesting about it in this situation, with mm. the PSI situation though, is the PSI legislation itself is almost an anti-avoidance provision it in is. itself. It is. Specific anti-avoidance. Yes. Specific, very narrow yes. to that. And I agree, that was, yes. the, that was the next point. It, it, so I guess the thing is, where do they intersect? Where does this general anti-avoidance rule, Part 4A, intersect with that narrower PSI anti-avoidance rule? I suppose we have to be aware that with the PSI regime, it is not all-encompassing. There are many, many carve-outs, many, many exceptions. That's right. Because yeah. what the legislature, right. the legislature was not trying to discourage genuine business activities. Right. They were not trying to say people are not allowed to use companies and trusts, mm, mm. and they're not allowed to... Mm. Uh, Split, uh, distribute money to other members exactly. of the family. Yep. They just want to prevent it happening to the extent where by it's really just you dodge tax. And, and look, and look, PSI does also touch on the Fair Work Act, SG. Yeah, absolutely. All, so yeah. I guess we're, we're yeah. dealing with just the tip of the iceberg sure. in this sure. podcast and just, just so so listeners are aware not to you know, take this as, as the be-all and end-all. Absolutely. All. Um, as opposed to Part 4A comes in where you might get an exception under PSI, mm. but... Part 4A may still come in because at the end of the day, you may have designed a scheme to get out of PSI. That's it. That's it. So I guess really where I see it intersect is um, around the alienation of income. Mm. Now, in those PSI rules, we have um, things that are basically uh, personal services businesses that you can allocate this income to. Mm. The only way that you can actually allocate this income to those entities is if you pass um, one of four tests. Or alternatively, get the commissioner to um, exempt you and say, "Yep, no, that's fine." So the first is the results test, which is basically 75% of your personal services income is to produce a result. Um, you provide plant and equipment to do so, and you're liable to rectify defects um, mm. I- I- in relation to wh- whatever you provide, whatever services you provide. 
There is also the unrelated clients test, which is income from two unrelated clients obtained by making offers to the public or a section of the public. That's a pretty pretty tough test. Mm-hmm. Um, just a broad overview of that. Uh, the employment test, 20% of the principal work, so the principal services work that you do would need to be provided by an unrelated third party um, or, or alternatively the business premises test which is uh, to separate your home from your office and, and most of the activities uh, that you perform are actually in that office or in that other alternate location. Yeah. Um, so I, look I think um, we, we've discussed sort of uh, broadly what those PSI rules are and broadly what uh, Part 4A is. Mm. Let's bring it all together with, with a few examples. I was discussing with the guys earlier um, some examples of, of how you might actually get tripped up. Yep. Um, Andy, another tax specialist here, was, was, was saying, you know, often you might have a commercial arrangement where you're in partnership with, let's say, your, your spouse or partner, uh, and, and she might not do a whole heap of uh, the principal work, yet uh, because of the partnership agreement, she would share in a lot of the profits. Now, generally, um, if you were to pass the PSI test in this circumstance, Part 4A wouldn't necessarily apply. And it, that, that was like an interesting um, sort of take. The ATO sort of views it as uh, the reason why that happens is the commercial risk is actually shared mm. with the partner in that instance. Joint and several liability. Joint and several yeah. liability because now had that had that um, arrangement been in a company environment, the risks are, well I guess from, from a risk perspective it's all the company's risk yep. and therefore Part 4A could apply in those circumstances. Yes. So I think that that's an interesting um, takeaway I guess to, to ground it in a practical example. Yeah. Um, did anyone else have comments yeah, around well, that? Yeah, well, actually, Bill, seeing as we are on the topic, at the uh, tax discussion group we held on Tuesday, one of our uh, very astute members actually brought up an example where they had a, a, a PSI income earner, service yep. provider, yep. who uh, was going to transact with, let's call them an employer for the sake of argument. Okay, yeah, oh, no, notional probably, employer. Notional sure, employer, sure. yep. Um, and they were actually told that it was compulsory that they actually transacted as a company with huh. that notional employer okay um, and that was the only way in which they would transact and have business dealings with this person so, so it was at the insistence of the other party that's right is, is so then are we opening is that is that part 4a floodgate open for that gentleman I think I'm assuming um, who is dealing as a company but yes. only on the on the basis that the that, notional employer sure. insisted on it well uh, look I would sort of say, yeah, that, that would be definitely a relevant factor. Yeah. Uh, and, and the thing about Part 4A is you can't necessarily put your finger on it and say that is a definite, definite Part 4A arrangement. Yeah. It is a judgment call that practitioners need to make yeah. um, w- with all the, all the circumstances in front of them. The other, the other, and I guess this is where I want to touch on superannuation guarantee, yes. um, that arrangement seems to be in place to get around some of the on costs of, of bringing employer on an employee. Sort of costs, yeah. yeah, like pay as you go withholding, Absolutely. superannuation guarantee, payroll, those sort of things. Yeah. And I think what people don't understand is those superannuation guarantee rules are actually extended to to actually um, catch things like this, Absolutely. these sort of arrangements. Yep. So look, people would be well advised to talk to their tax practitioner. Actually, give us a call on our helpline, if you remember, mm-hmm. um, and talk to us about it because I think we can, we're can. we well-placed to guide you through these these sort of provisions. That's true. 
Um, and ultimately, I guess practitioners, if they do find it too grey, they they can always have the option of putting in for a ruling request that's with the it. commissioner as that's well. That's it. That's a great yeah. Yeah, great way to deal with it. Um, if you haven't also considered becoming a member, reach out to podcast at taxpayer.com.au if you have any questions uh, as a follow-up to PSI or any questions about anything at all that you like broached on the podcast, uh, send them through to podcast at taxpayer.com.au. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at taxpayersau. That's at taxpayers, capital A, capital U. Now, Letty, uh, you recently wrote an article on um, the tax admin, uh, Guide to Objections, Reviews and Appeals. So let's go into that a little bit, please. Sure. And this will come out uh, in the next few days in the December issue of the taxpayer. So a bit of background. Um, I wrote this article about the objection review and appeal process to basically give uh, our readers a background into the law behind this process because I find that in the taxpayer community it's not always uh, strictly understood because at the end of the day screaming it's not fair, it's not fair doesn't get you very far in, mm. in a formal uh, court of law. Um, so we, I'm sure a lot of our listeners whether they be private individual taxpayers, business taxpayers or tax agents working for many many clients have had lovely surprises from the ATO. You get a letter <laughs> in the mail saying we would like to amend your assessment, you owe this extra amount of tax because you haven't included some interest income or we have disallowed a deduction. And sometimes it could be innocuous. Sometimes you just genuinely forgot you had a term deposit that you started 10 years ago. Honest mistake time. Absolutely, there's that. But sometimes sometimes it could be something a lot more challenging, like you might have entered into one of those um, primary production schemes and the commissioner has decided that Part 4A applies. Time back to Bill's, yeah. Bill's oh. conversation there, and and therefore you'll be assessed on the income or he's disallowing a particular deduction. So the question is, what do you do? Like yeah. I was saying before, screaming it's not fair, it's not fair to your best friend doesn't help, <laughs> or even to the tax office really. So the one thing you will do is to lodge an objection. Hmm. Um, and so there are forms downloadable from the ATO website and you don't actually have to use those forms either. There's just many ways to do this. Um, and if the commissioner decides to disallow that objection, in other words, he doesn't agree with your point of view and still wants to assess you on that extra tax, then you can under you can choose to either what, what we call applying to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal for review of the commissioner's decision or else you can apply to the federal court for an appeal against that decision. Now these are all very technical terms and the the thing with this sort of topic, it ties a lot into administrative law, which I'm really not going to go into <laughs> at this stage. Betty, just on that, um, what are some of the limits to the objection that that objection um, process like when, sure. when a tax agent? Well that, that's yeah. a really good question. Because once you get an amended assessment, your your ability to object is actually limited to the particular or the item that was actually amended. Okay. So that's generally speaking. So, so if you, you disallow that deduction, you generally are limited to uh, objecting against that disallowed deduction. If you've got another grievance with your tax return, if you made a mistake or something, you have to go through another So, so what if there was like a flow-on effect? Um, for example, if that um, you made a judgment call on that item and you got that judgment call wrong, the ATO sort of amended yeah. and you've objected, um, and yet there might be another part of the return that you could change to fix it, um, it would so well, that potentially ties that into be a problem? Because potentially, because uh, as a lot of our listeners will be aware, there are what we call amendment periods, yes, amendment okay. 
time limits. So for most taxpayers, it's either two years or four years. Sometimes it's unlimited. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on where in the time scale sure. we, yeah. we are at. Okay. So, so Letty, let's just say the taxpayer does go down the process of either going to the tribunal or to the federal court sure. to object to the commissioner's amendment. Um, and what if the relevant time period, whether it's a two or four year time period, ha it has lapsed or is just about to lapse because you're still in that process, mm. then what? It's a that's, bit unfair, isn't it, if that's they can't? That's an excellent question. What Angela's really trying to ask is if, if me as a individual taxpayer, first simple tax affairs have an amendment period of two years, but it takes three, four years to get this through the tribunal and the court and whatever else to get through this process, then isn't the commissioner out of time to amend my assessment even if he was to win the court case? Yeah. Well, the short answer is no, because the law actually specifically provides that the commissioner has an unlimited period to amend assessments mm. where it's the subject of a review or an appeal. Okay, yeah. that okay. Case. So okay. that's something our listeners should be aware of. Makes the system a bit fairer. And, and, Absolutely. And this, and this is a really uh, bureaucratic process though, isn't it? It's also potentially a very costly process. Absolutely. You've got to have really good advice if you're going down this, sure. this, this road. Yeah. And I guess tying it back to what we were saying before about the, the way the ATO is trying to change things, um, it is possible to short circuit this process by you know, trying to get into a sort of settlement or, sure. or, or an informal dispute yes. resolution okay. process because once you start getting into the AAT and particularly the courts, the federal yes. court and so on, mm. you're getting into a very expensive and potentially quite long-winded mm. process. Yes, and I'm very glad you brought that up because that was a point I was going to make uh, because this tax law also specifically provides that where you've, you've got a proceeding in the tribunal or in the courts um, the commissioner is still allowed to chase you for that tax that, that he has issued to you. So it doesn't matter that it's the subject of a dispute, he is still allowed to recover that from you. And Plus for the penalty. Lot, absolutely. And so, so for a lot of taxpayers, you know, you may not be very happy about it. You may think that you're in the right, you shouldn't have to pay that extra tax. But once again, screaming is not fair, gets you nowhere. The, because under the law, commissioner can get that money from you. The better approach would be, as Mark was saying, to approach the tax office about payment arrangement. See mm. if maybe they'll let you pay 50% of the debt or something like that until at least the court case is settled. I think the first thing I'd do is probably read your article sure. in the <laughs> December <laughs> yes, edition. I think that, that'd be sure, it goes much my further starting than that, Because if you go to tribunal, you can then appeal to the federal court yeah. against that decision. From the federal court, mm. you can then appeal to the full federal court with the thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that you have in the bank. And <laughs> in, in some cases of public interest, we also go up to the high court. And finally, just before we wrap up, there is also a, a, a process if you have a very small claim, isn't there? A, yes, a, 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 under $5,000 of tax debt. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which is a bit more straightforward. Mm. Okay, now if any of our listeners who are not currently members and would like to to speak to our tax specialists, um, we do run a helpline service, which we've mentioned throughout the podcast today as well. If you are become a member, you can sign up to use our helpline hours and you'll speak to the people that are on the show uh, week by week. So you'll get Ange, you'll get Letty, you'll get Bill, or you might speak to Andy as well. Um, and the information that you will get um, from our tax specialists is really, really worthwhile. The value is incredible. And I find their, their passion translates quite well through the phone. So that's always good too. Now that pretty much wraps up uh, Tax Wrap Episode 6. We're on the home stretch in the lead up to Christmas. Uh, tune in next week for our Christmas special. I think we'll have everyone gathered around the microphone, maybe some jingle bells as well. And get <laughs> yes, awesome. Really festive. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Thanks. guys. Thanks. See, ya. See ya. Bye.